Welcome to another edition of Focus on Alternatives, brought to you by ADISA, the Alternative and Direct Investment Securities Association. For more educational content like this, please visit adisa.org and check out the resource library. I'm Greg Moss. I'm your host today, and I'm joined by Rusty Cagle. He's the president and founder of ASE Private Wealth. Rusty, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Greg. It's an honor to be here. We were having a conversation earlier this year, and you brought up a term, um, tax capital. Uh, I was fascinated by that. You explained it to me. Can you walk us through what tax capital is? Yes. Thank you for allowing me to be here to share some of my thoughts with the Adisa community, professionals, advisors, and also uh, investors. When you think about tax capital, and if we, we all know Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett, they're Renaissance men in investing. And we look at the way the government sets their policy making. One of the things that Charlie Munger has said, one of his famous quotes is, show me the incentive and I'll show you the motivation. So in government uh, policy setting, there's a lot of things that happens at that level that really investors can take advantage of. And that's why the tax code is so complicated. That's but can great. you talk more about that government uh, policy and the impact? Well, if we look at it from the impact of it, there's a lot of incentives that are available to a number of people. When I was growing up in rural South Carolina, you know, my family needed government entitlement programs. And a lot of times that was food stamps and free lunches, public health. And yet, as I, and I didn't know much about that at the time, and other than maybe being a little embarrassed as a kid, right? right. But then as I, my professional career developed and I grew and started working with really the 1%, I really found out that there was a lot of tax incentives based on the code to influence certain behaviors. And that's when I really started saying, all right, there's a substance here with tax capital that really if people knew about, then they could be able to direct that before it became a tax liability. So government incentives. So how, how is that really driving behavior then? Well, if we look at it, even from its basic form with home ownership, I forget which president said this, but said, hey, every American should own a home, right? And so if we're looking to say, all right, how does everybody own a home? There's certain incentives to give you a tax deduction in the event that you itemize your deductions, right? So again, so everybody can own a home. Same thing with retirement. We know that there's a retirement crisis. So just like a 401k, you can put money there so that people can defer taxes. So those incentives are used to drive certain behaviors. And those are the policies that are available to us. So some of the incentives that come to mind are 1031s? So if you're in certain sectors like real estate, and you just mentioned it, 1031. So the tax code is 1031, but now you can reference it as a 1031 exchange, right? In retirement, everybody knows what a 401k is. So when you really start looking at the basic blocking and tackling, a lot of people know that. Once you start getting into more sophisticated structures, then there's a lot of the tax code that really we just need to educate the public and the investors more on. I agree. So another one that comes into mind, QOZs. Would that be would fit into this category? QOZs would really, when you start looking at when you are a high income taxpayer, really the top 1%. So if you look at the top 1%, typically people who make 500,000 or more or who have a net worth of 10 million or more, that 1% now has the ability to do certain things with that capital. So you just mentioned it, QOZ, that's code section 1400Z, right? We look at oil and gas, we can look at DSTs, you've got opportunity zones. You've got charitable donations. You've got so many structures that are available to us if we just get educated about it. And a lot of them are in the code. And a lot of times we just need to collaborate with subject matter experts like you have here at ADISA 
in order to be able to see if they're applicable to our clients. So when should advisors and clients be talking about tax capital? Well, that is a interesting because interesting phrase because what happens most people wait until year end. And if we really think about it, and we if we think about the game of football, right? So in game of football, if somebody's winning 48 to nothing and you go out and you kick a, um, a field goal with no time left, we don't carry the coach off the field and celebrate. But let's think about the way that we look at our tax planning. Most people, if they're businesses or individuals and they have a high tax bill get K-1s, they file an extension. And when they file an extension on the business side, that means that they don't pay their taxes in the current year for the past year until September 15th. Then you get to the personal return, which is October 15th. So now we've just wasted a whole year with planning. And so then we go and we say, all right, what can we do at the very last minute? So it's, it's, if you re- look at it like football, we would not celebrate 48 to nothing, kicking a field goal and carrying the, the coach off the field, right? Right. And so we're not really using the right type of planning for someone who has a, a large tax liability to think about it as tax capital. I understand. You just brought up businesses and personal, which reminds me of uh, passive income, passive losses. Yes. Can that be part of this whole tax capital conversation? 100%. A lot of advisors, I'm sure, are familiar with short-term capital gains, short-term capital losses, long-term capital gains, long-term capital losses, and how you can structure those in the current year to be beneficial. Same thing with passive income and passive losses. You know, pigs and pals, right? So passive income gains and then passive activity losses. So if we think about it, if you have a lot of passive income coming in that you don't materially participate in that, um, that business, then that's passive income. Well, a lot of the things that are offered that could be passive activity losses could be where you have a large capital amount that you may need to put in as far as oil and gas or real estate. So you've got some depreciation and depletion. And so a lot of times if you have that, you can combine those the same way you would with short-term capital gains and long-term and really be beneficial to help offset taxes and while the development is being built out and creating uh, income in the future. So really some, some cool stuff you can really do there. Absolutely. So to summarize, advisors should really be proactively in Q1 looking uh, with clients at their potential tax liability for the year and then laying out that strategy in Q1 and then trying to implement for the rest of the year? They should be looking January at their tax capital so that they can say, all right, with all the things that you have going on, do you have any kind of liquidity events coming up? Do you, are you paying estimated income tax, right? So we need to get on the front end of that because if we don't, we're gonna to continue to repeat the cycle where it's at the end of the year. So yes, I, one of the things that we have a mission is to change the way that we have the mindset on this is January 1st, look at how much income I'm producing, passive income, everything is coming in. And then what is that potential tax capital and where can we allocate it in a way that we pay the least amount we need to pay, but most people leave the IRS a big tip. So we want to stop leaving a big tip. I understand that. Well, Rusty, thank you for walking us through these concepts of of tax planning. And thank you for watching another episode of Focus on Alternatives. For more information about alternative investments, please visit adisa.org. Thank you very much.